giving thought to the idea that we all engage at some time or another in vows, pledges, things like that. Um, and I noticed at one time that um, the wedding vows, and this was in the Book of Common Prayer. Now, unfortunately, that didn't occur to me until late this morning. <laughs> I've got two of those. I've got an older one, and then I've got a newer one. But, um, but in it, in, as part of the wedding ceremony, and in both of those, it has a thing where the congregation is called upon to to uh, join in covenant with the couple who are getting married. And my understanding is that's that's pretty common. Is that uh, now the way a lot of people do vows now? Then you know it's kind of like anybody's. You know it's whatever. I think Jen and I wrote some of our own vows, but I, but the person who was actually doing the ceremony was uh, wise enough to, I don't know, to, to not leave, not not let it stand at that. Um, but here's one, and this is one that we don't do. All that often, we used to do, that's something I grew up with doing every day at school. And that's, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, right? And to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God with liberty and justice for all. And when was the last time, does anybody recall the last time? That you said, I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot, but it's, it's not every day, right? Okay, for anybody in here, were, were those foreign words? I mean, when, I mean, I know they're English, but were those? So you know what I'm talking about, right? Pledge of allegiance to this country. So we make that pledge. And we're pretty much saying that we'll obey these laws, that we'll uh, pursue these ideals of uh, liberty and justice, and it comes right down to it, we'll fight for it within reason. We all have limitations there, but we do that. We do say that. I wish we said it more often. I I really kind of hate to say that because part of me, I mean, I, I, I was a baby boomer. I guess I'm still a baby boomer. Do you ever escape that? No. But I, I, went, to, I went to high school. I mean, I graduated from high school in 1970. I was in college in the... You know, so I was in high school in the 60s, college in the 70s, got married in 1979. So, you know, I'm learning how to be a husband and a father in the 80s. So it's like all these decades. 
But one of the things that just wasn't cool to do if you were a baby boomer was to say the Pledge of Allegiance. At least, you know, at least it wasn't as cool as it had been. And I sort of thought, I mean, you do a thing where you have the whole class. I mean, I'm a teacher. Have the whole class say the Pledge of Allegiance. And it, uh, you know, I mean, I would feel awkward about it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting these people to pledge to something, and they've kind of got to do it. And if they don't do it, and I, I had one or two who refused to do it. And, you know, and, I, and I'd say, at least stand up and act like you're doing it. Just don't move your mouth, okay? Because if, if the object of this is to draw attention to yourself, then you're not really objecting to the pledge. You're just being a show-off. I mean, you know, I'm talking about a 15-year-old, you know. So, In any case, we've all done that. We all know what that pledge is, and we've all, you know, it, we don't have to feel like it if it's true. Wedding vows. And I've already mentioned wedding vows. But I'll tell you the secret to marriage. And I've been married 42 years. I'm going to tell you the secret to marriage. Keep those vows. Because there are going to be a lot of times you don't feel like keeping them. In fact, if you're counting on having a deep abiding love for each other, then that's not going to be the case all the time. There will be times when you will hate that person you married probably more than anyone else you've ever known. Fortunately, that passes. And I can also tell you after 42 years that um, the last, I don't know, I, I couldn't tell you how many years have been wonderful and, you know, not that we don't disagree or whatever, but I'm just saying it's, but the whole thing comes down to just keeping them out. That's what they're for. They're to try to make that institution permanent. That's what it's supposed to be. Um... So the idea of vows, first of all, we don't have the power to keep the vows. Okay, I'm just going to say, we, we, typically we don't have the power even the Pledge of Allegiance, you can pledge allegiance and you can, you know, feel that. But you're not going to feel that every time you pledge it. And wedding vows, you're not going to feel that all the time. It's going to come. It's going to go. So we need help. And sometimes what we need is the help of God directly. And sometimes we need the help of God through our community, our family, our church, our f friends, or whatever. 
It's better not to make a vow than to not keep a vow. That's Bible. That's Ecclesiastes 5.5. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. So, but, you know, like I said, we, we really lack the, the stuff to fulfill these vows. So, what other kind of vows are there? I'm just asking because... Doctors take an oath. Yeah, and they have to take that very seriously, don't they? <coughs> I hope they do. <laughs> what else? I mean, are there professional vows? I mean, that's professional vows. Um, vow what? Yeah, right. And in fact, in that one, you know, especially the the congregation is is asked to uh, provide assistance and to and to help the parents make make the vows. But you know, we have and it's um, we have you know there are political and you know when I say political, I don't mean like. I vow to be a Democrat or I vow to be a Republican or anything like that. It's just that that there are, you ever seen the guy standing up there with his hand raised and his other hand on the Bible? And they say, do you solemnly, you know, swearing in? Because everybody has to get sworn in. I mean, that's a like a political vow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout, so I, and and you did, uh, gosh, let's say you would do the, the left hand because it's closer to your heart, and you would do three fingers, I believe, um, when you when you you know did that, and there was a an actual um, pledge. That was that was a long time ago, right? That was like almost sixty years ago that I did that, so I don't remember it. But uh, I remember parts of it. But anyway, one for parents. Other than the baptism. I don't know of anything. Of course, you can have a vow for anything. You can. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's a good point because I was, I I was raised in the Methodist Church and we, um, we had a dedication. Christening. And uh, that would be a part of that. And then, you know, we had a baptism as well. 
and but I know it's different with different churches, but um, yeah, that's that's it. That that. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know, they have their own secrets, right? Um, why do we take vows, make pledges, and so forth? Um, so, why? Okay, why do we do the pledge of allegiance? I mean, I, if we didn't have a pledge of allegiance. I think that would that our social order, our maybe even our survival as a as a nation anyway might be at risk. Um, and when we talk about marriage, I mean that's one thing that I really wish people could understand. I'm not going to go there right now, but. But essentially, marriage exists. The institution of marriage exists for the benefit of the two people in the marriage and and the children. Because I mean, you know, that's that's the that relationship produces offspring, and. That means that this is that's there to protect them, and most people, or a lot of people, it used to be everybody, or just about. But the idea is that they, these this what we call the nuclear family, or whatever, is the sort of the core foundational societal element. Um, there are things that come with vows, like blessings. Now, if you look at the Old Testament and you look at vows and covenants that were made there, there was always a blessing that went with the vow or the covenant. I mean, that's kind of, they just kind of went together. Um, I mean, one of these days I'm going to be real, real good at doing that one-handed. Okay, um, so now there are substantial consequences when you do, when you keep the vows and then when you like don't keep them. But um, in, you know, like say as a nation, let's just take the USA because that's where we are. Um, the blessings can be peace and prosperity. Uh, pursuit of meaning beyond survival. Because there are a lot of places in the world that survival is it. I mean, that's vast portion of humanity is, is involved in a 
struggle for survival. Um, marriage, we could talk about that, you know, that the, there are blessings that come with that. There are, and there are limitations that come with that. And if you, I really don't want to get in the weeds here with, you know, what, what any one particular one, but, but there are things that, that if it's a vow and it's there to protect something, then that means that whatever it's protecting is at, is at jeopardy if you don't, you know, if you violate it. <coughs> okay, now, and as far as religious, I'm saying religious, and I don't really mean that in a negative way. Um, because what I'm talking about here is it, it's about it's a scripture about tithing. You don't have to agree with me on this, or you don't have to, you know, I'm just telling you what I've got down here, and this has been my experience. But in uh, Malachi chapter 3, um, it says, Bring the whole tithe into, this is starting with verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, <clears throat> that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, said the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Now, there's kind of a, that's, that's, that's it. That's the, you do this, I'll do that. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, that happened. Uh, I remember Jen and I were about as broke as we ever were, and we had two kids. Um, and we... I'm going to, we, okay, we weren't broke because I gambled it all away or anything. We were broke just because we, we really had some bad luck. Um, and I remember we were going to, I remember one time during that time, we were actually coming down here and uh, this would have been, like 80, 88 or 89, but I remember we parked, we had a, like an orange Dodge pickup truck, and that we drove the orange pickup truck because it was the only thing that had gas in it, and that was Jen's work truck. So I remember being that broke, but then I ran across the scripture in Malachi, and I was talking to Jen about it. And then she did a landscape job. Now, this was not, I don't know, this was a little bit later. But she did a landscape job, and she got paid in cash. And so, um, we, 
can't remember. I think it was like a thousand dollars. And then she took, you know, and I just said, I really think you need to put a hundred dollars into the collection plate. And she agreed. So based on this scripture, we put it in the collection plate. And then we had this incredible because we were going to leave for vacation right after church we weren't even going back to the house we got in the car we went down you know i won't tell you the whole story but it's like we came back we had so much fun we went down ended up staying at uh, you know whatever destin santa rosa wherever and uh, we came back we had money we had money left over. I mean, how often does that happen? So I'm going, I'm going to stick with that one. And that was years ago. Now, if you don't keep your vow, you can look forward to, what, chaos, anarchy. I mean, look, just read the... Uh, just read, uh, let's see, <coughs> excuse me, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Some of them carry, cover the same stuff, but different, you know, perspectives. Look what happens. You've got kings who did the stuff they promised God, and you got kings that didn't. Look what happened to them. I mean, they ended up uh, in exile. So you can have a blessed nation like Israel, and you can have them in chaos, in anarchy, in exile. Um. And I guess you could, you know, put that down to uh, the verse right before that one in Malachi 3, Malachi 3, 9, that says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. So, we don't want to rob God. So every time you make a vow, you, there is a blessing that goes with that and you risk a curse or a consequence, whatever you want to call it. We make vow before God and before community because we're afraid we won't keep them. Now, I don't think that's true with marriage per se. I think we'll think we can do anything at that point many times. But generally speaking, we, we really don't. We, if we're honest with ourselves, we understand that, that we need the help of God and we need the help of community to keep them. Because a vow is an act of faith. Um... We're not making the vow on some kind of certainty based on our own character. We may 
think we are, then that's just simply because we're not properly introduced to the depravity of our own souls. <laughs> um, okay, so we do, okay, if we're going to make a, a vow or if we're going to express a commitment of our will to something, then we're going to do it. We're going to do it with our faith in something more than ourselves. Yes, we'll have to do our part. We could fail in that part. But there is a, there is a reason we pledge under God and that we take vows in the in the in front of witnesses now i want to go now to ephesians chapter 4 and starting with verse 11 and going through verse 19 um let's see Okay, so Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, and people have preached many a sermon on those five things but basically just for simplification here an apostle is usually somebody who is uh, whose job is to establish spiritual communities I mean there are, you know all of these have more than that to them the prophets uh, give those communities divine insight evangelists in, increase the size of the community. And pastors lead the community. The pastors are there to stay. Lead them in healthy directions. And teachers there are to give the community understanding. Now, we could disagree about the, the nuances or edges of these definitions, but that's, that's generally what they mean. So, uh, he's given these, this is uh, picking up again with verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, so we strive for unity, maturity, fullness, which sounds like a pretty good life. You know, there are trials and tribulations, but that's, that's pretty good. 
Verse 14, then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So, why, okay, so why are infants tossed about? I'm going to offer a, a possibility, and you can take it or leave it. Because they're looking for fantasies. They're looking for easy answers. They're looking for things to be the way they ought to be. Um, and that's why in verse 15 it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love. That is so powerful speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ so if we are speaking the truth in love and that is really hard to do. And if you've got a, even if you're a parent, if you're a husband, if you're a pastor, if you're a, I mean, whatever your position is, I mean, and speaking the truth in love doesn't mean telling the telling the other person that you're talking to everything there is to know. That may not be the love part. I mean, if I'm in the military and I'm a corporal, I don't expect the general to come and tell me the whole plan. You know, I expect that when they tell me the part of the plan that I need to know, I will be told the truth. That's as far as that goes. Same way with parents and children. They don't have to understand everything that you are saying. What you're going to do, though, is if you do that, if you tell them the truth in love, they will learn to trust you. And if you do that in all these relationships, then that helps everybody grow up. That's what this is about. This is about unity and maturity. So, the truth that leads to maturity is hard. But it's necessary. If you deliver it in, a, in condemnation, then it's devastating. If it's delivered in genuine love, even if you don't do it well, even if you do it harshly, but, but you're doing it out of love, it offers hope. It's still hard.
And if we're on the receiving end of that, it can work if we don't reject it. Verse 16. From here, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. And that, once again, Paul, who wrote this, is... Is using the metaphor of the body. I mean, it's something he refers to from time to time. And I think it's a great metaphor because we're not, replaceable units. We're not what? I mean, you know, we're 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 individuals. We are members, and if you lose one of those members, then you can compensate for it, but you can't be exactly what you were before. And that whole idea of membership, in that sense, is really important. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, if you'll notice that in that, there's community there. Because these offices are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, those are there for communities. You don't, you, don't, you don't get your own private apostle or your private own private prophet or your private pastor or whatever. You, you are a part of a community. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. This is 17 through 19. Insist on it through the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Well, I could tell you that'll preach, but I don't have time. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. <coughs> Having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity <clears throat> with a continual lust for more. So it looks to me like that. They've lost their sensitivity. And in search of a replacement, they've gone after sensuality. I'll read it again. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Now, that 
And, and, and all that means is that when you talk about this, this uh, sensuality, it means you, that's, that's where you get into addiction. It doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. It could be shopping. It could be gambling. It could be, I don't know, there are lots of addictions. Some are just more socially acceptable than others. And basically what an addiction means is that it's a craving for something, and then the more you get, the more you want, and you never really quite satisfy that. So we're living in a time when hearts are hardened as a result of the influence of the world. I think a lot of that's unavoidable. Not all of it. Marriage is no longer a covenant. Not as a rule. I think it's more often than not a kind of a starry-eyed, open-ended merging of circumstances. As long as everybody feels in love or, you know. So sensuality has to a large degree placed sensitivity and is never satisfied. And I'm not saying that this is just a modern condition, condition and this was not in, true in the past, but it's certainly true now, and I don't know of too many times in the past when it was, I mean, they, you know, every age has its problems, but um, we didn't fix that one. So we have a community. We could call this a community. We can call our family a community. We can call our city a community. I mean, you know, however you want to define it. But with God and the community of believers, I mean, they help us through the hard stuff, the growing up with truth and love. And that's really what these vows are about. We are going to commit ourselves to being the kind of people who recognize they're part of a community and they recognize that they are a community that is blessed by God and that we want to we want to receive the blessings of the vows but we also want to avoid you know, the negative consequences. So let's pray. Lord, I ask you to come.
and speak to us. I ask you to come. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Let us understand the spirit of repentance. And as we go through this season of gratitude, we approach the celebration of your coming. I pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunity to to become aware of and and you know just to confess our sins help us to live up to our vows so in all these things we ask in Jesus name amen